Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Good evening. Tonight, for the first time, two key witnesses in the impeachment inquiry told lawmakers what they told lawmakers. We've now have the transcripts of their depositions before the three uh, House impeachment committees. These are two longstanding State Department professionals with seven decades of experience between them. Michael McKinley, former senior advisor to Secretary of State uh, Pompeo, and Marie Yovanovitch, former ambassador to Ukraine. She was forced out of her post. He resigned from the Foreign Service and gave two reasons. Because what they said is so significant and at times mysterious, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight and read some of the most important passages word for word. And we'll try to link up the moments that really build a narrative that, according to these two officials, illustrate a State Department in Washington operating at cross purposes from diplomats around the world and a White House that was undermining those diplomats for purposes that seem to have more to do with President Trump's political interests than U.S. national security. We'll start with the sworn statements of the former senior advisor to Secretary of State Pompeo, Ambassador Michael McKinley. Quote, the timing of my resignation, he testified, was the result of two overriding concerns. The failure, in my view, of the State Department to offer support to foreign employees caught up in the impeachment inquiry, and second, by what appears to be the utilization of our ambassadors overseas to advance domestic political objectives. In other words, as both he and Ambassador Yovanovitch made clear in their testimony, using the people and institutions of government, or as you'll see, bypassing them for private personal aims. Their testimony reflects what they saw and heard as people connected to the president from in and out of the government work to influence the government of Ukraine and squeeze it for the president's political advantage. Specifically, the president's Ukraine envoy, Kurt Volker, European Union ambassador and campaign donor Gordon Sundland and Rudy Giuliani. As Ambassador McKinley tells it, quote, what is clear is that both Volker and Sondland were engaging the Ukrainian government in conjunction with Rudy Giuliani on domestic political issues. It's clear from Ambassador Yovanovitch's testimony that Giuliani's efforts in Ukraine were extensive, involving her specifically, dating back to late last year. Quoting her now, basically, it was people in the Ukrainian government who said that Mr. Litsenko, the former prosecutor general, was in communication with Mayor Giuliani and that he had plans and that they were going to, you know, do things, including to me. It became clear, she said, that the goal was removing her from her post. One point of contention, her alleged role in blocking Giuliani's effort to bring ousted Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor uh, Shokin to the U.S., apparently in pursuit of Giuliani's political mission for the president. Following longstanding protocol, an American consular officer denied him a visa because of his alleged ties to large-scale corruption. Now, remember, President Trump and Giuliani, they are now claiming that all they care about was fighting corruption in Ukraine. But the guy they are trying to bring to the U.S. is himself considered corrupt by diplomats who actually know about corruption in Ukraine. Ambassador Ivanovich picks up the story, quote, And the next thing we knew, Mayor Giuliani was calling the White House as well as the Assistant Secretary for Consular Affairs, saying that I was blocking the visa for Mr. Shokin and that Mr. Shokin was coming to meet him and provide information about corruption at the embassy, including my corruption. Now, keep in mind, Rudy Giuliani is the president's personal attorney at the time. He had no formal role in government, hasn't sworn to serve U.S. national interests. He's working for the president 
doing whatever he can for the president. And we should also point out has business dealings himself in Ukraine. So maybe there's a money motive for Giuliani as well. As you might imagine, none of what Giuliani was saying about the ambassador made Ms. Yovanovitch a favorite back in Washington. But as she testified, the career foreign service officer felt stymied, saying, quote, it's not like I sent in a formal cable outlining everything she says. It felt very, very, very sensitive and very political. And this, she said, was making top Ukrainian officials uneasy. She describes a conversation with the Ukrainian interior minister in February. Question, what were his concerns as expressed to you? Yovanovitch replied, he thought it was, so he thought it was very dangerous that Ukraine, since its independence, has had bipartisan support from both Democrats and Republicans all these years, and that to start kind of getting into U.S. politics, into U.S. domestic, domestic politics, was a dangerous place for Ukraine to be. It became dangerous as well for her. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted about her in March, referring to her as a joker. She was signaled out during a segment on Hannity by name. She raised concerns about it to Gordon Sunland, another of the president's emissaries. Sunland, she says, told her, and I quote, you need to go big or go home. You need to, you know, tweet out there that you support the president and that all these are lies and everything else. And, you know, so, you know, I mean, obviously that was advice. It was advice that I did not see how I could implement in my role as ambassador and as foreign service officer. So just let's think about this for a moment. The advice she says she got from the ambassador to the European Union, Sunland, who's a major Trump supporter and donor, was to say nice things about President Trump, which is pretty amazing when you think about it, that the EU ambassador tells her that the president of the United States is basically a sucker for compliments and can be manipulated by flattery. Another lesson she learned was that the road to the president also goes through Fox News. Here she's describing efforts uh, she heard about to stop the attacks on her, quoting the ambassador. What I was told by Phil Reeker was that the secretary or perhaps somebody around him was going to place a call to Mr. Hannity on Fox News to say, you know, what is going on? I mean, do you have proof of these kind of allegations or not? And if you have proof, you know, tell me. And if not, stop. And I understand that call was made. I don't know whether it was the or somebody else in his inner circle. And for time, you know, things kind of simmer down. By May, however, she was removed from her post. As for her departure from Kiev, she describes a conversation with the Foreign Service Director, uh, the Director General, Carol Perez, who ordered her home. Quote, she said that there was a lot of concern for me that I needed to be on the next plane home to Washington. And I was like, what? What happened? And she said, I don't know, but this is about your security. You need to come home immediately. You need to come home on the next plane. And I said, physical security? I mean, is there something going on here in the Ukraine? Because... Sometimes Washington has intel or something else that we don't necessarily know. And she said, no, I don't I didn't get that impression, but you need to come back immediately. And I mean, I argued with her. I told her I thought it was really unfair that she was pulling me out of the post without any explanation. I mean, really none. And so summarily, this is not uh, it is safe to say how any of this is really supposed to work. Not the ambassador's removal, not career first aid through Twitter, not alleged phone calls to Hannity or the president's TV lawyer scuttling about, gathering dirt, not any of it. Or as Ambassador McKinley put it in his testimony, in 37 years in the Foreign Service in different parts of the globe and working on many controversial issues, working 10 years back in Washington, I had never seen that. Four administration officials were supposed to testify today. None of them showed up. More transcripts are due out tomorrow. I want to talk uh, about all this. Joining me now, CNN senior political analyst David Gergen, CNN legal analyst Carrie Cordero, and former Nixon White House counsel 
uh, John Dean. Uh, David, I'm wondering how what you make of the transcripts that have been released to, today. I'm very we should be very glad they've been released. It gives the granular view actually is much more sobering and distressing than what we had heard before today. And I think it, 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 the details show you that this became a cesspool. Our own State Department became, became a cesspool. You know, it is it's one thing for an American ambassador to be called home because there's a physical threat to the ambassador coming from some thugs or, or you know, rebels outside the gates. Right. It's another thing to be, be threatened by your own government with your th- physical security being threatened yeah. when they ask her to come home. And then the president in that phone call with the Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, they started talking about her, and the president said, the president of the United States says she's going to go, go through some tough things. Yeah. She felt, I think quite rightly, that was threatening to her, and she remains threatened to this day. You, Anderson, it may take as much as a generation to restore the Foreign Service and to attract the kind of talented people we need. Really, on the front you, line. you think the damage that's already been done is that yes. great? Yes, I do. To I an think, entire generation of Foreign Service officers. I think and, you, and listen, I work with a lot of young people, many of whom used to go into Foreign Service. Mm-hmm. They're very reluctant to go in now. You have no idea what's going to happen to you if it's going to be politicized as an institution. The and, and also whether Washington or the White House cares about what you're doing or believes exactly. in it. In fact, it's quite clear they exactly. don't care about what, the, exactly. what you're doing. John, uh, what does it say about the administration that a U.S. ambassador was being smeared by the president and his allies on the global stage and the ambassador wasn't even convinced that she was physically safe and had to learn about this uh, from Ukrainian officials? It's amazing. Uh, what She's like somebody who was hit by a train and didn't even know she was on the tracks. Uh, and, and she said that she couldn't even imagine, as late as her testimony, the six and seven months she'd been through already. Now, what happened, Anderson, in her revelation point was very interesting when she heard the rumor of the report in The Hill uh, publication, the interview w- with uh, Lysenko. And I happened to look at that because it prompted my interest in reading the, uh, the transcript. And the, the interview is a setup. They're all leading questions to Lysenko. It's like the Hill was in the loop on this whole thing. Well, was so that- I assume they're going to be a witness at some point. Yeah, well, I think there's a, I'm saying rep- the- there's a reporter from the Hill, I think, who has been uh, mentioned, uh, who, you know, was doing a lot of this reporting early on. A- after Carrie, I mean, after reading the ambassador's transcript, it's almost difficult to overstate just how much havoc Rudy Giuliani, I mean, it seemed was was allowed and able and encouraged to 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 wreak. And it also seems really I mean, for the president to be claiming that and, you know, his supporters to be claiming this was all concern about you know, uh, corruption in Ukraine, uh, the server, the Bidens, uh, the all the people, it seems like, or many of the people that Giuliani and the president are kind of relying on for all their inside information were people who are were allegedly corrupt and had been removed from office because of it. Right. Well, I mean, that was a that was a fake response and, and a cover story for what was actually going on. I think what's interesting as we learn more of these details is that, Anderson, the essential facts that we learned about seven weeks ago when the whistleblowers complaint became uh, publicly known and then when the White House released the transcript um, and then just a few weeks ago when 
the White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney um, basically admitted what had transpired in terms of holding out aid uh, in exchange for political information from Ukraine is that the underlying facts really haven't changed. And what happened is that the president was using his foreign policy authority to get dirt uh, and political information that would benefit him. And what I think becomes more clear through these details in these new transcripts is how much the institutions, and in this case, the State Department, have been under pressure from not just the president and not just people in the White House, but from people outside government like Rudy Giuliani. And so when I hear um, others, uh, president's defenders or uh, maybe affiliates in Congress or others who are observing from the outside commentators say, well, the institutions are holding up. You know, this is just a lot of bluster that comes out of the White House. You know, these aren't things to be really worried about. These transcripts show that the institutions are under tremendous strain. Well, also, David, strain from the guy who's running the State Department. I mean, the, you know, we talk about uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, his former advisor, Michael uh, 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 McKinley, who we just been been reading about. He says that on three occasions he broached uh, with the secretary the idea of making a statement of support for uh, for the ambassador, Yovanovitch. That contradicts what uh, Pompeo himself said about McKinley last month on, on ABC. I just want to play this. From the time that Ambassador Ivanovich departed Ukraine until the time that he came to tell me that he was departing, I never heard him say a single thing about his concerns with respect to the decision. So you were never asked to put out not not once, not once, George, did Ambassador McKinley say something to me during that entire time period. So I mean, obviously now it's a he said he said yeah yeah you know if um, Mike Pompeo was uh, brave and smart, I think he would ask to appear before the committee. Mm. Under questions and take and deal with it under oath. Under oath. Under oath. That would be. The Why do you think that would be advantage? And, and because what I think it's important for the country that we not have a Secretary of State who who seems compromised or potentially compromised in a very very serious situation, mm. and in a State Department that whose morale is broken. Uh, and but clearly, time, I mean, like, he doesn't care about that, or the president doesn't care about. It. I mean, they're, they're clearly he's the president's guy there the in a way that other state, you know, Secretary of State maybe haven't even been because at least some of them believed in the institution itself. Right. Well, I, I have to believe my, Mike Pompeo arrived with, with a pretty good reputation. He was a strong figure in Benghazi against uh, the, the Democratic administration. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he, he, you know, he was at West Point. He was number one in his class. He's a, he's a really smart guy. So people thought he's going to be another adult in the room along with Mattis. Um, and it turns out in order to survive in this White House, you've really got to kiss the ring of the president regularly. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just compromises your own department. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have more uh, with the panel in a moment. Uh, new reporting on how this is going down in the White House and what's being done to prepare for day two and more transcripts. Later, after yet another legal setback, only the Supreme Court stands between the president and prosecutors getting a look at his tax returns. President Trump spent the run-up to the impeachment inquiry transcripts suggesting they would be tampered with by the Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, that he would put out phony transcripts. As of tonight, no complaints from Republicans about the veracity of the transcripts. Some grumbling about what one congressman, House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, called the Democrats, quote, selectively releasing transcripts from their closed-door hearings. Republicans were also part of those hearings. As for the White House reaction, CNN's Jim Acosta is there for us tonight. Uh, Has the president said anything so far about the transcripts? 
Not a whole lot, Anderson. We should point out he's having a rally in Kentucky right now, and standing behind him on stage are some supporters wearing T-shirts that say, uh, read the transcript. I think the president and his supporters are referring to uh, the transcript of his phone call with the leader of Ukraine, not these transcripts that are being released up on Capitol Hill. But as the president was leaving the White House earlier in the evening, Anderson, he was going after Marie Yovanovitch, the uh, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Uh, and at one point, he was asked whether or not there was a smear campaign orchestrated against her. He did not deny that. And keep in mind, this is the former ambassador who said in this transcript of her testimony uh, that she felt threatened, personally threatened by the president. Uh, and the president, all he had to say about Yovanovitch is that uh, the president of Ukraine did not have kind things to say about her as well. Right. Which in the transcript of the actual phone call, it was actually, I, if memory serves me correct, it was actually President Trump who brought up Yovanovitch right. uh, saying, you know, not great things about her and, exactly. sa and saying that, you know, she was going to go through some some stuff. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the exact quote. Um, That's he, right. He weighed in about about them, about the transcripts last night before they were released. I mean, his line has been, you know, that that Adam Schiff is somehow going to doctor the transcripts. That's right. He's he's going after Adam Schiff. We've seen that. Uh, he also is continuing to this campaign against Alexander Vindman, the national security official, lieutenant colonel uh, in the army. And, you know, essentially said to reporters last night that Vindman is a never Trumper and that he has evidence of this and that we're all going to find out what this evidence is. He hasn't produced that uh, at this point. Uh, the other thing we should point Which out, is, he by the way, he also said that about the birth certificate of President Obama for the longest time, that he had detectives in Hawaii and they were finding remarkable things. We so. have seen this movie before. That's right, Anderson. And and he has been uh, going after the credibility of the whistleblower as well. As a matter of fact, this evening at this rally in Kentucky, uh, saying that, well, wait till you find out what this whistleblower has been saying. Saying you're going to find out, uh, going back to what you were just saying, Anderson, this is a, a tactic that the president has used time and again. He will often uh, tease things out as if, uh, you know, this is another episode of The Apprentice. And on next week's episode, you're going to find out what the whistleblower really had to say uh, when, in fact, that evidence and that uh, information is never presented to the public. Yeah. Jim Acosta, thanks very much. Back now with David Gergen, Kerry Cordero, John Dean. Um, John, I mean, the, the notion of somehow these transcripts being faked and manipulated when not only are witnesses able to look over their own testimony uh, before these things are, are released, I mean, there are Republicans sitting there as well. So I, I don't even understand that whole notion. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Uh, Anderson, one of the more interesting redactions is right at the outset of the transcripts, uh, where they redact the names of everybody who's in attendance. So that shows how few Republicans probably did attend these sessions. We don't know because in these uh, these editions, at least, uh, that information is not revealed. So the redaction actually favors the Republicans for their no-show. Uh, you're not going to be able to mess with these transcripts. Uh, the witnesses know what they said. Uh, they would be the, you know, outspoken if there was something that was not properly included in there. And they're pretty haunting documents, and they're going to be uh, even worse when they're played out live. Carrie, I mean, do you think it's a mistake for Democrats to not try to compel Rudy Giuliani to testify, given how central he clearly is in in all of this? Obviously, you know, there's political considerations based on timelines. 
I think the Democrats, my own view is that they would be wasting their time with Rudy Giuliani. I don't think his testimony, I think if he ever were to testify, it would be a circus. I don't think he's not going to be cooperative. So I think it would be like the Lewandowski hearing. I don't think they should waste their time on him at all. They have good witnesses already. They have, they've done their closed hearings. Um, they have Bill Taylor. They have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. They have Marie Ivanovich. They have uh, Ambassador McKinley. They have people who have credibility who have given a lifetime of service to the country, who are nonpartisan and who have come forward and testified under oath to the facts. And so amongst those witnesses and maybe a couple others, they'll determine which ones they want to have come uh, in public and give more testimony. But I don't think they need Rudy. And, you know, there is transparency now. The Republicans have been in all of these testimonies. They're in all of these hearings. They have now released some transcripts. There's now public information about what the process will be. So there's a lot of information out there. I think there's a lot of information, but the day is going to come very quickly when these uh, we're going to have televised hearings. Mm. And I think on televised hearings, the country deserves to be able to hear from Josh Bolton under oath. Mm. He's a, he's a, one of the people at the center of all of this. We deserve to be able to hear from Giuliani under oath. We deserve to be able to hear from Mulvaney under oath. I, and you know, Anderson, as I go back to think about these things, I'm remembering another crisis in another administration when Reagan was president and the Iran Contra mm. scandal broke and. And the president was in deep trouble. There was talk of impeachment. There were growing forces for impeachment. What did he do? He said, look, we're sending everybody up that the Hill wants to hear from. We're going to send every document up. We're going to clean house inside. And we're going to play this totally open, totally straight. And guess what? It went away. Mm. Because, I mean, he dealt with it. It was still a crisis. It was still a blot on his record. But he did it the right way. Mm. Um, I mean, John, we're a long way away from... Uh, how Reagan handled this. I mean, the, you know, the we expect more transcripts tomorrow. Um, may I mean that may not be the last that we hear from some of these witnesses. You, you know what it's like, and how public testimony can really change the dynamics of an investigation. That being said, all those sorts of comments were made about you know what would happen when Mueller testified, um, and clearly, you know, uh, for a lot of Democrats, that was not what they anticipated. No, witnesses are hard to read in advance how they're going to appear. Uh, and there's no telling how some of these witnesses who do have great credibility uh, might be uh, in front of the television camera. We just don't know. Uh, but I think the education process that public television or public viewing of the hearings will provide is really essential. Uh, this just can't go too far uh, in being transparent and and the committee really educating the American people about the seriousness of what's going on here. Mm. The fact that uh, one time I was the ambassador's testimony where she said that the, the State Department is being uh, attacked and hollowed out from inside is a, just a chilling line when you hear it yeah. when you read it. Yeah. John Dean, thank you very much. David Gergen, Kerry Cordero, appreciate it. Up next, you're going to hear from a member of the House Intelligence Committee who listened to a great deal of the testimony that we've been discussing. Briefly recapping our breaking news, House impeachment investigators today released lengthy transcripts of two interviews conducted behind closed doors last month. 
Those are former U.S. Ambassador of Ukraine, uh, Marie uh, Yovanovitch, and State Department Senior Advisor Michael McKinley. Both testified they were deeply concerned about domestic political interference in U.S. diplomacy with Ukraine. Now, this, as all four high-level White House officials who were scheduled to testify today, didn't show up. One of the members of the House Intelligence Committee who sat in on much of the testimony we're learning about today is Democrat Val uh, Demings of Florida. I spoke with her shortly before airtime. Congresswoman Demings, of all the concerning details in these released transcripts, I'm wondering what stands out to you the most. Well, Anderson, the thing that really a couple of things stand out to me the most. Number one, it is just, I think, appalling that the president of the United States and his enablers would totally try to uh, impugn the good reputation of Ambassador Yovanovitch uh, because they did not want her to be a part of their basically shady um, operation that they were doing in Ukraine. The other thing that really I think is very disheartening is when Ambassador McKinley expressed his concern about the Department of State Secretary Pompeo not having the backs of Foreign Service officers when he complained about the morale being low, the men and women feeling like they did not have the support of the Department of State, that he received no response. And when he received no response from the secretary, he felt like no response was a response, and he felt like he could no longer be of service uh, in his current capacity. And so because of the shady operation that was going on uh, involving the president and those around him, uh, I think two good career service, foreign service uh, employees were basically displaced or left the State Department. Chairman Schiff today said that the House committees aren't going to delay their work and wait for the court to decide about testimonies like of aides like Charles Kupperman and perhaps even John Bolton. Why do you think this needs to be done or do you think this needs to be done at a rapid pace? I mean, I understand the political calculation of with the upcoming election and this kind of sucking the oxygen out of that. But you're a former law enforcement official. Isn't there something to be said for getting as much evidence as you possibly can? Well, certainly there is. And from the beginning, we said that we wanted to do a very methodical, a very thorough, but also a very timely investigation. I believe a lot has happened over the last month and a half. Uh, finally, we've had persons who were either associated uh, with the uh, administration or with the Department of State and others who were willing to obey a lawful subpoena and come in and give testimony. I certainly believe that we are making every effort to get every bit of information and and testimony that we can in this investigation. But as Chairman Schiff said today, uh, Anderson, we are moving forward and we will consider those who the president instructed not to appear, who chose to follow that unlawful order as another article of impeachment. You, you think there should be more than than one article of impeachment? Well, it certainly seems like the president is uh, on a roll. And I would think that is all all that is going on with him. We know now that the president abused his power by trying to get a foreign country to interfere in the 2020 election. We know that persons uh, were directed to remove the call record 
uh, of the president's uh, July 25th call onto a secret server. We know that the president has instructed several people to not appear and cooperate uh, with Congress. And so I do believe that the president is really, uh, the, the evidence is really clear, convincing, and really pretty overwhelming. You, your Republican colleague, Congressman Jim Jordan, said that Democrats, quote, cherry pick which transcripts they release and when. What is the determining, uh, what's determining the order in which transcripts are, are getting released? Well, I mean, if you think about it, uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch and Ambassador McKinley were two of the first ones that were interviewed by the uh, Intelligence Committee. And look, I know the Republicans are struggling to defend that which is indefensible, but you know, I was glad to see these transcripts being released so that the American people could see exactly um, what the ambassadors said during their testimony. I, I think Volcker went before, but uh, but I but I hear you on 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 Jim Jordan's point. The, the uh, there's reporting tonight also that as the inquiry moves into the public phase, Republicans are considering actually moving Congressman Jordan over to the House Intelligence Committee. Do you think that's a smart move on their part? Anderson, I came um, to Congress with 27 years of law enforcement experience. I've conducted numerous investigations. I have always been in search of the truth. If Congressman Jordan is interested in joining me in that effort, uh, I welcome him to the committee. Congresswoman uh, Demings, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, potential impeachment is not the only battle the White House is fighting up next. How Americans just got one step closer to possibly seeing the president's tax returns as soon as next month. We'll look at the last-ditch effort to keep them private. Well, tonight, the battle of releasing President Trump's tax returns appears headed for the Supreme Court. That's the vow from one of the president's attorneys after losing an appeals court decision. Manhattan District Attorney is uh, hoping to succeed where House Democrats have not. The prosecutor is demanding eight years of returns from the president's longtime accounting firm. The Trump legal team argues that the president is immune from criminal investigations while in office. But the appeals court says that doesn't block the enforcement of a grand jury subpoena. Now, if the Supreme Court takes up the matter, justices could issue an opinion before Christmas. Investigative reporter David K. Johnson is one of the very few uh, to uncover any uh, of the president's tax returns. He's the author of The Making of Donald Trump. He joins me along with CNN legal analyst Sean Wu. David, if this decision stands, um, you say that President Trump could have a serious problem once a Manhattan grand jury gets the tax documents. What do you believe that they could show? Well, Donald lost two income tax fraud trials. And in one of those trials, the tax return introduced in the case was shown to his longtime, now retired uh, tax preparer, Jack Mitnick, who testified that that was his signature on the document, but he did not prepare that tax return. Donald has a long history of, of filing inconsistent documents with different government agencies. Cy Vance's grand jury has access to the New York State Tax Authority records. And I suspect they're going to compare them to the Mazers records to see if Trump uh, altered the tax returns he filed, which would be fraud in all likelihood. Sean, I mean, Jay Sekulow, the president's, Jay Sekulow, the president's attorney, says that the issue raised in this case goes really to the heart of our republic and that the, quote, the constitutional issues are significant. Is he right there? I think he's wrong, Anderson. That's certainly in the president's mind. These are dear to the republic, his republic. Uh, the Supreme Court, unlike any other courts, 
has the discretion over what they will take, and they issue a writ of certiorari to those cases that they believe are important enough to hear. They're not going to do that here, is my guess. You don't, think, you don't think the Supreme Court will take this case? I don't think they'll take it. And the reason for that is because these are actions which, as was laid out in the Court of Appeals decision, these are actions that predate the president becoming the president. So he wants to argue absolute immunity, executive privilege, but none of those apply because this wasn't something that he undertook for his job as presidency. Executive privilege, an important privilege, is meant to give the president the benefit of confidential advice to run the country. Running the Trump business is not the same as running the country, even though he may think so. So it's just not going to be applicable here. So if they didn't take it, then the the ruling by this judge in the appeals court, that that stands and the tax returns are released. That's exactly right. And the, the court often does that. They'll let a lower court decision stand because Supreme Court justices like to think of themselves as being minimalists. They only want to take those cases that they think are really essential for the country to take. And when they can they'll duck the issue because they don't want to reach out and decide things unnecessarily. So I think here they're going to say thanks, but no thanks. David, the, the thing is, I mean, efforts by the president to hide the contents of his tax returns, they've been going on for decades, and he's largely been successful in keeping them under wraps, hasn't he? He's been quite successful, other than the 2005 a few pages that I got and the 1995 state returns the New York Times got. But uh, we won't see these returns. They'll be turned over under grand jury rules that are secret. If there is an indictment or a civil lawsuit brought by Cy Vance, then we'll first see uh, specifics that are alleged as part of a crime. And then as the case goes forward, uh, we'll see the returns put into the record. And Trump has 10 days under an agreement with Cy Vance to appeal to the Supreme Court. So that'll get resolved quickly. So, uh, so, so Shane, we should know within 10 days? Uh, well, he has 10 days within which to seek the appeal. I'm not sure how fast to file it. Yeah, I'm not sure how fast the court will decide on I that. I see. Um, and how, how long does the, the court sometimes take to decide whether they'll look at a case or not? Uh, they usually move relatively quickly. I mean, normally they would look to the next term. So I would expect them to turn around relatively quickly. It's a little hard to predict, but I think they'll expedite. Yeah, it's fascinating. Shane, and, we, and the agreement yeah, here, ahead, Anderson, David. is... The agreement, Anderson, is this term. It'll be this term. Right. All right. David K. Johnson, fascinating. Shan Wu, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Tonight, the president is still actively trying to unmask the Ukraine call whistleblower who's protected by, well, the law. My next guest knows firsthand what it's like to have your cover blown. Her name was leaked in a different administration. Former CIA operative Valerie Plame on the consequences of the president's unlawful request ahead. Despite numerous administration officials corroborating what the Ukraine whistleblower warned about, despite the president's own on-camera calls for election interference from Ukraine and China, and despite the rough transcript that he released that backs up much of the whistleblower's account, President Trump is still trying to blow the whistleblower's cover. The latest from a few hours ago. I think that the whistleblower gave a lot of false information, and you have to see who the whistleblower is. The whistleblower seems to have disappeared. Well, he just leveled another attack at his rally tonight. A reminder, this whistleblower's anonymity is protected by law. I want to bring in former CIA operative Valerie Plame, who's had a valuable perspective on this. Her uh, cover was blown in the Bush administration after her husband blew the whistle on the rationale for going to war with Iraq. She's now running for Congress as a Democrat in New Mexico. Uh, Valerie, thanks for being with us. Just based on your own experience, you obviously have a unique vantage point on this. 
Uh, how important is it that the whistleblower's identity remain secret, not only for that person, but for any other potential whistleblower out there? Hi, good evening, Anderson. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely crucial. What the president is doing uh, is, a, is illegal and harassment. Um, whistleblowers need to feel that if they come forward to point out mismanagement, uh, corruption, wrongdoing, that their identity will be protected. I think what Trump has been doing yesterday and, and reiterated again today, asking essentially for his henchmen to go out and dig around and, and reveal the identity of the whistleblower is immoral. It's outrageous. Um, and we can't function as a democracy, as a government, if you put uh, the ice on those who seek to come forward and say, you know, that's not quite right. It's also interesting, given the Mueller report, we know that when the president during the campaign said, you know, Russia, if you're listening, uh, you know, find those emails. <laughs> According to the Mueller report, uh, you know, the Russian intelligence actually hours later set about doing uh, just that. Uh, so the president clearly knows yeah. that giving public pronouncements saying, you know, this person should be revealed um, and that this person's, you know, said things which are not true and equated them to a, you know, a, a traitor or a spy. Um, he knows mm -hmm. the impact that that could have on this person. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, this whistleblower, we don't know who it is yet, thank goodness, uh, most likely a male, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, but clearly he's a patriot. Um, he thought long and hard about what he was doing. By all accounts, his report was credible, thorough. He had given it a great deal of thought. This wasn't just something he tossed off. Um, he knew that his life would change. I don't think he could have any idea of, of the depth of it, the, how profound it would be, uh, um, because I've experienced that myself, not exactly analogous, but coming, being betrayed by the Bush administration and going from com complete anonymity to being in the, the maw of media attention. And it, uh, even though you might know what you did was right and your friends and family are telling you what you did was right, uh, it is a, a very disorienting experience. I really, on a personal human level, I really feel for the whistleblower. It's going, it's hard now and it's going to get worse. I'm afraid that his identity at some point will become known and his life will just be turned upside down. Clearly, the president believes that there's some sort of political advantage to continuing to focus on the whistleblower, when in truth, the whistleblower at this point is pretty much irre irrelevant to the, to the actual inquiry because what the, as you pointed out, what the whistleblower said, which, you know, every, all the Republicans in Congress were coming forward saying, well, it's all hearsay, it's all hearsay. You know, it's now been uh, backed up by it's testimony. Been corroborated. Yeah, it's been corroborated. So the idea that the yeah, president right. is continuing to focus on this person, clearly there must be some reason for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Trump's really good at the shiny ball technique, isn't it? Look over here. Look, shiny ball over here. Uh, pay no attention to exactly the substance, the, uh, the flagrant abuse of presidential power, the threat to national security, the erosion of our constitutional democratic values. Pay no attention to that. Let's go after and figure out who the whistleblower is. He, and we fall for it each and every, you know, how long have we known that this is te his technique and he's so 
actually quite good at it. Uh, so we need to uh, all take a collective breath. Um, I'm looking forward to these proceedings going into their public phase. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see what the actual impeachment articles are. Is it just going to be focused on the Ukrainian uh, issue or will it be broader? Right. I mean, will they include obstruction of justice from something from the uh, from the Mueller report? As you know, there's some Democrats who clearly would would like right. that. Um, just as somebody who you know knows the ins- the, the the CIA from from a, a unique standpoint and from the inside, what do you think the impact mm-hmm. has been? Just the cumulative impact. You know, mm-hmm. we, we were talking earlier about the Foreign Service, and you know, the ambassador was saying it's been hollowed out from oh, the inside. Yes. David Gergen was saying it might Doesn't take, you know, just... a generation to kind of get, pe- you know, new people in and to kind of repair the damage. It, it pained me to hear the words of that ambassador of, of being ho- attacked and hollowed out. And probably uh, there are those career professionals at the CIA who feel the same way. Uh, there's been a slow uh, 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 accumulation of the politicization of our intelligence community, uh, starting with the Iraq War and going on up to today. Uh, now we have um, the Secretary of State Pompeo, who doesn't really care that much about the State Department as much as his proximity to Trump. Um, and there, the amount, the years of experience that have walked out the door, the uh, and both at the CIA and at the State Department, this is not good for our diplomacy, our standing in the world, and it's definitely not good for our national security. When the Trump has uh, repeatedly denigrated the intelligence professionals that are serving as Americans, not as Republicans and not as Democrats. Mm. Valerie Plame, I appreciate uh, you being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. When we return, more uh, revelations from the first impeachment inquiry transcripts released today. Some concerning new accounts of Rudy Giuliani's uh, shadowy operations in Ukraine. I'll talk with former White House insider turned uh, critic Anthony Scaramucci next. 